Welcome into the latest Daily Wager Extra podcast. We're taping this on Monday morning, November 15th, with week 10 almost in the books. Just Monday night football left to go. And another Sunday where the house wins, so they're starting to get back on track, and it's a lot of underdogs and road teams. I'm Doug Kazarian, joined by Mackenzie Kramer. Mac, more of the same to, uh, this weekend. Every single week, we talk about the exact same thing about this show. Underdogs doing great, road teams going great, and the game's going under the total. So, you know, just just blind bet those three things, and you'll be doing very well this year. Right. So what's the uh, full uh, – well, I guess we don't have the Monday nighter. So what's the um, updated uh, r- overall records of dogs and everything like that? Yep. So uh, this past week, entering Monday night, of course, uh, underdogs and road teams, both 8-5 and five against the spread, 5-7-1 and one straight up. For the season, 85-62-1 for underdogs, 85-63-1 for road teams. We had one game close as a pick so that kind of messes up those calculations for the rest of the season, so that's annoying, but that's that's a research problem, so you guys don't care about that. <laughs> road teams, though, still two games above 500 outright this year, 75-73-1, and and unders, 8-5 and five this week, 15 games above 500 on the year, so those three things keep keep coming through. And we saw some carnage with the Moneyline Parlay crew slash Survivor crew slash Teasers crew. Uh, it's just not that easy. Remember when people were complaining that Survivor's too easy and you need to change the rules? Well, that things didn't go as planned with Tampa losing outright. Um, what was the other uh, kind of well, the two, the two big ones, if you look at the... Uh, 64% of the entries at Circa were on either the Steelers or the Ravens. And right, so the Ravens Thursday night. Exactly, yeah. So that that kind of gets buried a little bit since it was on Thursday. But um, I know on ESPN, 37% were on the Steelers. At Circa, 36% were on the Steelers. One interesting there, thing there is to check your rules because at ESPN, a tie advances you. At Circa, a tie knocks you out. So depending on what pool you're in, uh, a Steelers tie may or may not have advanced you. The Ravens were the second most popular team in Eliminator this week. Buccaneers and Cardinals a little bit further down the list. They combined for about 8 to 10% of picks. Um, but... I mean, you talked about it earlier. The first seven weeks of the year, we didn't have a single upset of a team that was at least a seven and a half point dog. In the last three weeks, we've now had five of them. And this week we had Miami as an eight and a half point dog on Thursday. And then Washington as a 10 point dog on uh, Sunday, beating Tampa Bay outright. Washington had been the worst team against the spread all year. And then they go out and beat Tom Brady and company. Teams off the bye too. You know, there's such a kind of positive spin that people want to put on it. We had a guest last week on the Daily Wager Extra Pod just reminding people that teams off the buy, sometimes they're flat. The buy can be a, a inhibitor as much as a catalyst. And if it breaks up ryth- rhythm, like if I'm the Patriots, I don't want to be going into a buy, things like that. You know, who else is rolling? You know, there's some other teams that are a little bit on a roll. You don't want to disrupt that flow. Sometimes you need it for injuries and just to recharge, especially middle of the season. But Bucks were extremely flat off the bye. And to your point, teams off the bye this year, I hadn't even known this. I looked this up as you were saying that, but 5-10-1 against the spread on the year, teams off a of bye week. So uh, that you're right. This year, that's not coming through for you. Yeah, I just wonder. Uh, I mean, I, for me, it's heavily nuanced, right? It's case by case. Uh, like I said, teams on a roll don't want one. Some teams do need one. Tennessee is certainly on a roll. Titans win again. They were favored this time as opposed to the four previous wins all as a dog. They do not get the cover as you get the back door with the Saints and then the no two-point conversion. So Tennessee wins by two, 23-21 in a uh, low-scoring game. But I think it snuck over the total by a hook or one. So that gets there. That was a, 
extremely exhilarating game, if you want to call it that, just with a questionable, uh, not even a questionable, a bad call of roughing the passer on a play there. Tannehill threw a touch, uh, interception in the end zone. So that gave the Titans new life, and they end up scoring a touchdown. That really delivered a setback to the Saints, who did scratch and crawl and came, came back in this game, had a chance, obviously, with the two-point conversion to tie, did not get there. Well, it's a pretty low bar in terms of exhilarating games this past week. I feel like every day, every week I go on Twitter and people say, oh, this is the worst slate of games all year. But I think week 10 might have topped all of them. This was a pretty ugly slate of games. But I got a bunch of cool notes on this game. Titans become the second team in NFL history to win five straight games, all against playoff teams from the following season. But or sorry, from the previous season, excuse me, uh, joining the 2003 Eagles. The Saints as an underdog, I, I talk about this every week, but they're now 4-0 against the spread as a dog. This is the first time they didn't win outright in that spot. And since 2018, they're now 8-1 and against the spread as a road dog. They're now 50-26 and against the spread after a loss under Sean Payton. And the Mike Vrabel coach of the year train, I haven't seen updated odds on that, but especially with the Cardinals losing, I have to imagine. 4-1. Uh, there you go. I imagine that Vrabel's got to be the favorite there, or at least one of the top two or three favorites. I still don't really trust the Titans long term, but when you beat those five teams in a row like they did, and you have a pretty easy schedule down the stretch, and you have to deal with adjusting to Derrick Henry being out, I think that uh, Vrabel's got to be the favorite in that market. Yeah, it's certainly understandable. He should be the favorite. Um, it's interesting. Narratives are such a big part, right? Like, if they continue the role, Tannehill's not going to get MVP consideration. Kingsbury also right there in the mix with Arizona, but Kyler Murray could get MVP consideration. I don't think Kingsbury will get there because other guys will. Now, Mike McCarthy was in the discussion. I do not think he should be. Maybe they've taken money. Uh, this was at DraftKings, I believe. So McCarthy was up there. He was the favorite, I want to say, two weeks ago, but he's just not going to get it. It's just that simple. The narrative is out there. The 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 overarching sort of perception of him is not coach of the year material. Let's leave it at that. And then Belichick right there. So he's down to 12 to 1. I like Belichick. I was on it before the season at 18 to 1. I got a little bit more at 14 to 1. I feel like narrative wise, obviously, Mac Jones will get offensive rookie of the year buzz if they continue this role and make the playoffs. But Belichick is going to get credit. It's been about a decade since he last won this award. Obviously, he's highly regarded in the coaching ranks, and he'll get credit for the defense and scheming and all that. Um, McDaniels obviously will get some credit, but I, I really think Belichick's in the mix here. But Vrabel's going to be tough to beat. The, the, the wheels are going to have to fall off for them for him not to get it, and they have a really easy schedule. I believe the FBI says the easiest remaining schedule, three games against Jacksonville and Houston combined. So there's a lot to like there with the Titans. That is correct. The easiest remaining schedule in the NFL for them. But uh, to transition to the Patriots-Browns, because you brought up uh, Belichick, Patriots, according to FPI, the Patriots are now the second best team in the AFC this year. So I, I did not see Nine this Buffalo. coming a couple weeks ago, but they've covered four straight, scored 45 unanswered in that game against the Browns. They've outscored their last four opponents by over 100 points. The second team ever to do that with a rookie quarterback, along with the 2012 Seahawks with Russell Wilson. So Patriots just keep rolling. What do you make of the Offensive Rookie of the Year race? It seems like a two-horse race between Mac Jones and Jamar Chase. Both are plus 110. Obviously, you don't have to be a quarterback to get this award, kind of like unlike the MVP trophy. But I wonder if Chase comes back to earth a little bit, if Jones can win this thing. Well, you look at last year, you had Justin Jefferson set all sorts of rookie receiving records and not win it. Now, granted, Justin Herbert put up a historic statistical season for a rookie last year. Mac Jones is having a, having a good season statistically, but he's not putting up huge fantasy numbers or anything like that like Herbert did. So it's I mean, if the Patriots keep winning, it's going to be hard to keep this award away from Mac Jones. But 
I, I think I think the odds are pretty fair. I think both of them deserve to be. I see plus one hundred on Chase, plus one forty on Jones, and Najee Harris twelve to one. Nobody else shorter than forty to one. So, but yeah, it looks like a two horse race on paper, and it's just a matter of who puts up the better numbers down the stretch. I don't really have a strong lead in that market. You mentioned Najee Harris. Uh, he is a rookie who did not know that you could tie during a regular season NFL game. And now he learned the hard way as the Steelers and Lions kind of advertise with the weather going on at Heinz Field as well. End in a 16-16 to tie. So the Detroit Lions remain winless, but they do not get another loss. They will not be going 0-17. That we know. 0-17 prop had been minus 600. It had been minus 600 to avoid finishing 0-17. So... 0-16 and 1 does not count as 0-17, so the tie catches that prop. Though Pittsburgh continues just as a favorite, do not take the Steelers. Nine straight games of favorite dating back to last season. 0-9 against the spread in those games. 3-5 and 1 outright. So Pittsburgh laying a big number. That's that's something that you don't really want to do, especially with the way that their offense is looking. I was a little surprised that line came down as much as it did. I didn't really think that there was that much of a difference between Ben Roethlisberger and Mason Rudolph on paper, but the line went through the seven, went through the six, and and but it didn't matter because the game ended in a tie. You know, I'm not the biggest Ben Big Ben backer this year. He's obviously not vintage Big Ben, but he's he's more competent than Mason Rudolph. I think uh, Rudolph stinks. Oh, I, um, I agree, but I, I'm not a big fan of Ben at this point either. Right. I thought the line was too high to begin with, and I thought you'd get a good effort from the Lions off the bye. I thought I thought they needed the bye after getting pummeled by the Eagles. And it was a good timing for them. They came in, obviously, sloppy conditions, um, the weather, Rudolph. I mean, that, you, I just liked that side. We talked about it on the show yesterday morning. All of us were on the lines. I had the first half under, which got there by a hook as well. No yeah, way. I the Lions the in our column. I think one other note about that game that I found interesting. You talk about teams off a of bye week. Some teams need it. Teams own five or worse outright when coming off a of bye since buys were introduced in 1990. Now 19 and six against the spread. So wow. when you have these teams that haven't won a game all year, you know they they look at the bye week like let's circle the wagons. Let's get it. You know let let's work hard to try to get that one win. And they almost got there, but uh, not quite. Not quite is right. Uh, I mentioned the Eagles. They had an impressive win, go into Denver and win 30-13. to 13. Um, This game landed right around the total, but it sneaks under at 43. Uh, Eagles pretty dominant these days, and their defense is playing well. Jalen Hurts is actually playing well, but they're running the ball a lot more, and they're kind of in the playoff mix. And they have a pretty easy schedule, too. You talked about yeah. the Titans having the easiest remaining schedule. Uh, the uh, Eagles have the second easiest remaining schedule. Uh, they, they're not facing too many strong quarterbacks the rest of the year. I mean, I don't think they're going to win that division, but they might have a chance to sneak into that seven seed, which we talked about on the show last week with the Panthers being 10 to one and uh, a half game out. The Eagles, you know, that they, they, they're going to have they have an uphill climb to get there, but they're not completely dead yet. Uh FPI gives them a 28% chance to make the playoffs right now. So a little better than a one in four chance for the Eagles. But with the Broncos, Teddy Bridgewater, we talk about how good he is against the spread. But as a favorite, that is not when you want to back Teddy. In his last 10 and 10 games since coming back from that gruesome knee injury as a favorite, three and seven outright and against the spread as a favorite. So Teddy is a favorite. Not that great. Not that great. You mentioned uh, the Eagles chasing the Cowboys. Let's talk about Dallas bounce back from there. Big loss at home to the Broncos. They uh, smacked the Falcons 43-3. And I think I read this on Twitter. It was the first time a defensive coordinator has faced the quarterback that took him to the Super Bowl or something like that. It was Dan Quinn going against Matt Ryan, basically. Um, and Dan Quinn's defense won 43-3. Ridley's still out for Atlanta. 
and a good bounce back for the Cowboys, which is should come as no surprise. I mean, I don't think anybody thought the Cowboys have a top five defense and or top 10 defense, depending on what metric you look at. I mean, our efficiency metrics have them as the number five defense in the NFL right now. And I think entering the year, we probably had them bottom five, bottom 10 for sure. So really impressive work by the Cowboys defense this season, even though I'm not very high on Atlanta. I'm mad I wasn't even more on Dallas as I was on that game laying I, I was surprised that line. I think that closed seven and a half. I kept moving down. I don't understand who's betting on Atlanta in that spot. I know that they've played better recently, but their defense is, is pretty weak. Their offense doesn't have, you know, without Calvin Ridley, we've talked about this before. I mean, their top receivers are uh, Zacchaeus and Tajay Sharp and Russell Gage. I mean, they're basically just relying on Kyle Pitts in that passing game and and, and Cordero Patterson. I'm, I'm not high on this Falcons team at all, but Dallas now eight and one against the spread this year, bouncing back from their first non-cover of the season. Now six and zero ATS in conference games, and uh, you know both two teams lost as double-digit favorites last week, Buffalo and Dallas, and both of them bounced back in a big way. Bucks, look, we're looking good. Brady became the betting favorite for MVP after last week's carnage on a bye week, but the Bucks laid an egg. They continue to struggle ATS on the road. Winless in terms of covers, zero and five. Um, look, we know the Tampa defense isn't quite there, right? They've had they banged up. This is not the same one that won the Super Bowl, but the offense was very flat off that bye. I mean, Tom Brady twenty two throwing two interceptions, almost at a third one. I believe it got overturned in that game last week. Every single MVP favorite fell flat in his face. The only ones that didn't were Tom Brady, who didn't play, and Lamar Jackson, who moved, I believe, from 20 to 1 to 9 to 1. Lamar plays on Thursday. He struggles. Tom Brady plays on Sunday. He struggles. And all of a sudden, you have a new MVP favorite in Josh Allen. Is that okay? So that's what my question was. Is Josh Allen the new favorite? Uh, yep, I looked. I checked this morning. He is the favorite, uh, I believe, plus 250, 3 to 1 range. Brady's still second. He's plus 450. But that race keeps. A lot, a lot of changes every single week in that race. Just seems like nobody wants to run away with that award right now. It's Allen plus two fifty, Brady plus four fifty, and then Dak and Stafford are both seven to one. Bills Jets. Bills lose last week to the Jags with neither team scoring a touchdown. Remarkably, in a nine six game, Buffalo offense gets back on track. Pumbles your New York Jets forty five seventeen. They obviously cover the big number, double digits. And you mentioned Josh Allen now back to being the betting favorite. And. I mean, the Jets allow 45 points in three of their last four games. So the Jets are the are the best get-right spot in the NFL when it comes to opposing offenses. They're the first team to allow at least 45 points three times in a four-game span since 1966. It, it, it's not a good time for the Jets. Um, though the, the over-under next week against Miami is 45, too. So if you think Miami can get there, which they probably won't uh, bet that over. I kind of like that over. But, uh, I mean, the Bills, they're, they're the – Bills are the best team in the NFL, according to FPI right now. They the big get right spot for them. I mean, Josh Allen looked great. Stefan Diggs had his best game of the year with eight for 162. Gabriel Davis also over 100 yards. You know, just that's what you expected from the Bills. I mean, I don't think anybody expected what happened last week in Jacksonville. This is more what we expect that of uh, Josh Allen, who is one of the MVP favorites all year. And now he's the uh, current favorite at plus 250. Vikings Chargers delivered, right? So it was a it was a rough weekend, but this was a good game. Back and forth, at least through the first half and maybe three quarters. But Mike Zimmer and company finally win a close game. Nice bounce back with back-to-back -back road games. They blew the game in Baltimore, had to lose in overtime a week ago. Come back, go to L.A. and win 27-20. Chargers offense was starting to hum, then bogged down. 
This was a really fun game to watch, but I didn't have the volume up, so I don't know exactly what happened in this game. Well, char- yeah, char- Chargers offense just and only 253 yards in the game for them, 4.6 yards per play. Couldn't get much going in the running game, uh, only 82 yards on the ground in that game. Uh, but, you know, Minnesota, like you said, every single game comes down to the wire with them. They've had eight one-score games in their first nine games. And one stat that I know made the rounds a lot this week, which I found interesting, was they're the only team in the NFL to leave, lead every game by at least seven points at some point. And, and they still have a losing record at four and five outright. They're the third team in NFL history to hold at least a seven-point lead in each of their first nine games and still have a losing record. But obviously, they're able to get that win in this one. And a big game for Justin Jefferson with 143 yards. And Kirk Cousins continues to play pretty well. And and the, that AFC West race with the Chargers, now we have the, the Chiefs are now on top of that division again, as we kind of expected. And a, a bad week for the other teams, that division with the Chargers, the Raiders, and the Broncos all going down. Yeah, we'll get into the Chiefs momentarily. I just want to put a bow on the other two, the other high-profile game which was Seahawks-Packers. Russell Wilson shut out for the first time in his career through two picks. He took the fall for that one, and he said it wasn't about the finger. Packers, slowly but surely, like, really solid this year, and they're kind of flying below the radar, and they're in terms of they're 10-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. And and we even buried the lead here. I mean, the Packers, honestly, they might be the biggest story in, in the NFL in terms of betting. Just they've, they've covered nine in a row. That week yeah. one loss to New Orleans, that is way in the rearview mirror right now. The nine-game cover streak is tied for the third longest single-season streak in the Super Bowl era, only behind the 92 San Diego Chargers and the 85 Patriots. They're the first team to cover nine of their first 10 games of the year since the Cowboys back in 2016. And and you mentioned Russell Wilson throwing getting shut out for the first time in his career. He's now 0-5 at Lambeau. They're averaging 11.8 points per game, and the Seahawks clearly have their backs against the wall. They play the Cardinals next week. You have to think that's probably a must-win game for their playoff chances. FPI only gives them a 13% chance to make the playoffs. They're currently last in the NFC West. They haven't finished last in, since 1996. So Seattle's on the ropes right now, and Green Bay continues to roll. Yeah, Rodgers just makes it look so easy. Now they only had 17 points, but the defense coming through. Aaron Jones is going to miss one to two weeks with a sprained, I believe, MCL. Either way, that's good news in terms of uh, avoiding a serious, serious setback. You mentioned the Cardinals and Panthers game. We should just mention Carolina took care of business. I kind of saw the plus 10 covering. Just it was such an emotional game, flat, a little bit of a flat spot for Arizona, but I didn't see this. I didn't see a one-way beat down here. I don't think anybody saw this coming. And then Cam's, Cam Newton scoring touchdowns on his first two touches with the Panther, Panthers. That that was a pretty cool story, him yelling, I'm back, and getting a 15-yard penalty. But we don't have to talk about that part of it. But mm-hmm. the Panthers' defense, with and without Shaq Thompson, night and day this year, that Panthers' defense, we talked about them early in the year as having a strong defense. They kind of fell off a little bit the last few weeks. But Thompson came back, and they played really well, and they got, they basically dominated that game from start to finish. And it looks like Cam Newton's going to be the guy this week. So I don't think he's really that. I don't think he's a good quarterback at this stage of his career. But when you're competing with Sam Darnold and PJ Walker, he still might be a, a slight upgrade. And getting beat out by Mac Jones doesn't look so bad anymore the way that Jones is playing. Yeah, that's a great point. I didn't think about that. Uh, and let's put a bow on every the whole weekend, or at least the Sunday, Chiefs Raiders. I went to the game last night. Really, really cool stadium. Felt like uh, my younger days going to Raider game. A lot of Raider fans there. Good vibe in the arena, but um, or stadium, I should say, but just too much Patrick Mahomes. But I don't think he, everyone's like, he's back, he's back. I don't know, man. I, I think he threaded the needle a couple times. I think the Raiders shot themselves in the foot. I'm going to need to see a little bit more out of Kansas City to th- claim that they're fully back. But 
Mahomes did look spectacular on some plays. Yeah, his third career game with 400 yards and five touchdown passes. But you're right. It's still still a lot of the short passing game, and it's, it, it doesn't look as smooth as it used to uh, with that Chiefs offense. It doesn't look as easy as it did. You had uh, Darrell Williams making that ridiculous catch in the end zone where Mahomes kind of threw it up for grabs, and the running back basically high points it like he's a wide receiver. So that was a fun play. And uh, you mentioned Allegiant Stadium. I got to go there for uh, the first time a couple weeks ago for a Rolling Stones concert. But overs at the Allegiant Stadium, 11 and two right now uh, since it opened. So you come to Vegas, you want to bet the over and you want to bet the over in a Raiders home game. So the Raiders are definitely uh, cashing for the public when it, when it comes to the total, even if they uh, can't get there for themselves at the window. Yeah, the Raiders had their chances. They moved the ball. Obviously, the Deshaun Jackson fumble. <laughs> I don't know certainly, what happened there. Yeah, certainly grabs people's attention and rightfully so. Um, I was sweating out the under, so I was excited there, but lost by a point. It was a necessary touchdown in the fourth quarter when the when the Chiefs were draining the uh, air out of the ball. But that happens. That happens. It got there. All right, my man. Good stuff, as always. Uh, you know, you put together the notes, and I know our listeners really appreciate it. It was good to break it all down, but we're, uh, we're on to next week. We're on to Cincinnati. Absolutely. Uh, with, uh, tonight, I'm on the under. Just, it feels like a way too big of a number. Uh, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, I don't have I, a strong uh, lean tonight. I would say uh, a couple good trends on tonight. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, Niners 0-4 against the spread at home this year. Uh, the Rams have failed to cover three straight, but Jimmy G as an underdog with the Niners, 10-4 and ATS, 9-5 and outright, 2-0 and outright as a home dog. So interesting game. We've already seen that line come down. Uh, I believe it was four and a half early in the week. It's now three and a half. So, uh, um, but yeah, you like the under. I, I can't. I can't disagree with you on the under. That's probably a smart play. The Robert Woods injury late in the week probably uh, helps out the under as well. Who knows if Beckham will be uh, ready to play or or know how much of the playbook? So uh, I kind of like the under as well. You might convince me on that, but I haven't made a play yet. Yeah, I'm curious to see McVay go against Shanahan with a real quarterback in Matthew Stafford as opposed to Jared Goff. I mean, there's all these trends of like, oh, he's, you know, whatever, X and Y against the spread against the Niners. It's just so different. I mean, Stafford's so much better than Goff. Goff is extremely limited. I mean, even Dan Campbell was calling him out just a few games into the season, and McVay put up with it for several weeks or several years, I should say. Goff's never won a game without Sean McVay. This was the, this was the closest he came getting a tie. He's got a tie. He got a tie. All right, my man. Great stuff, as always. Thanks to everyone for downloading and listening. Obviously, we have the weekday uh, podcast in and out in 10 minutes, and then we have the extra and bonus podcast. So a lot of good content out there. And, uh, you know, we'll keep it rolling. Daily Wager returns 6 Eastern on Tuesday evening on ESPN2. 